Hello, and welcome to today's podcast, which is the third that we've done exploring antitrust issues in the healthcare industry. I am Stephanie Webster, and I'm a partner in Ropes and Gray's Healthcare Practice Group. I represent healthcare clients before federal agencies and in federal court on healthcare payment and compliance issues and help clients navigate ongoing developments in federal funding and reimbursement. With me today is Jane Willis, a partner in Ropes and Gray's litigation and enforcement practice group who focuses on antitrust matters for healthcare and life sciences clients. Jane, I wanted to talk to you today about the Department of Justice's antitrust division decision last month to withdraw three policy statements on antitrust enforcement in healthcare markets. Could you briefly describe what these so-called healthcare statements were and what they meant, Jane? Thanks, Stephanie. You know, by way of background, starting in the 1990s, the DOJ and the FTC issued these joint policy statements about basically about how they would enforce the antitrust laws in the healthcare markets. So two of the withdrawn statements dated to the mid-90s, and one was issued in 2011 in connection with the accountable care organization developments by CMS at that time. And, you know, broadly speaking, the policy statements explained how the agencies would view the legality of certain collaborative activities in the healthcare industry, and particularly with respect to um, healthcare providers engaging in healthcare mergers, joint ventures, and various physician arrangements. I know that the statements included exceptions called safe harbors or safety zones. What were those? So the safe harbors or safety zones were defined conditions under which the agencies would not challenge conduct unless it was some really extraordinary circumstance. You know, there were safe harbors for physician networks, for hospital joint ventures to acquire technology, and for acquisitions of rural hospitals, and also joint purchasing, among other things. And I would say the two most notable safe harbors concerned physician networks and information exchanges. And and I'll talk about both of those. With respect to physician networks, providers could form a network of otherwise independent physicians, and that network could be exclusive so long as they had less than 20% of physicians in each specialty. And if a non-exclusive network was formed, the threshold was 30%. Network could have up to 30% of the physicians in each specialty. And regarding information exchanges, the agency said that they would not challenge activities involving information sharing between competitors you know, for example, like a survey of price or wage data, you know, so long as the information exchange was managed by a third party, like a consultant or a trade association. The other requirements to meet the safe harbor was that the data exchange had to be at least three months old, so it wasn't stale, and at least five participants or competitors provided the data so that it would be sufficiently aggregated. So if you had five different companies, five different healthcare systems providing the data Um, then that was viewed as it would be sufficiently aggregated. And that standard has always been a good rule of thumb um, that we've used when advising clients, and not only in healthcare, but in other industries as well. Thanks, Jane. So why do you think DOJ would withdraw these statements now? Well, interestingly, the DOJ's announcement called the policy statements outdated. And the DOJ suggested that the policy statements were no longer reflective of modern market realities. And it's clear to me that they viewed the statements as being overly permissive, um, especially with respect to information exchanges, where, you know, I think I think it's fair to say that there are new sophisticated techniques for aggregating data 
and those new forms of analysis. And the DOJ seemed to, to, to understand or have a concern that, you know, historical data may be more relevant than previously thought because of the way uh, data can now be managed and interpreted. But the withdrawal of the policy statements is a part of the broader effort by the Biden administration to step up antitrust enforcement. And that's the effort we've been talking about um, in, in this podcast series. And we've seen you know, a few key moves over the last two years, including President Biden's um, executive order from the summer of 2021 about promoting competition and including the agency's decision to withdraw what we call the vertical merger, merger guidelines. That's really similar to what they've done here with withdrawing the um, healthcare statements. So, you know, I think the withdrawal of these guidelines reflect the agency's preference to engage in a case-by-case analysis um, rather than having safe harbors, because that will give them more prosecutorial discretion and flexibility. Um, But of course, they still have to build a case. They still have to show that there's an antitrust violation. Um, We know that they're really focused on the healthcare industry. And um, so it's not all that surprising that they decided to withdraw these statements to give themselves some more flexibility. So with this withdrawal, Jane, what can healthcare clients expect? Will there be more challenges to transactions or activity that would previously have fallen within a safe harbor? I can certainly see how some may say that the withdrawal is a signal that there's going to be more enforcement. That being said, some of the safe harbors were really so low, for example, the 20% safe harbor for physician networks, that many physician networks were not relying on that safe harbor to begin with. You know, rather, I would say the safe harbors were touchstones um, that were used by antitrust lawyers and and others to analyze a situation to determine whether the physician network, you know, presented undue antitrust risk. And I think in that regard, these touchstones will still continue to be used when advising clients. So the way I've been thinking about it is using the colors of a traffic stoplight, red light, yellow light, green light, areas or or conduct that was always prohibited that was red light conduct, of course, that's still going to be red light conduct. You know, don't do it. And for yellow light conduct, you know, that's still the case that you want to proceed with caution and want to do it, you know, do an analysis. And the safe harbors were the green lights. And, you know, by withdrawing the statements, the DOJ is just taking away the pure green lights. It means that you need to analyze the situation um, to analyze antitrust risk based based on the facts. And that isn't going to change what most healthcare providers are doing now, but it does mean that um, healthcare providers need to, you know, proceed with caution and seek legal advice, you know, when appropriate, such as when doing a transaction or adding adding a significant number of physicians to a network. So, with the policy statements gone, where can participants in the healthcare market look for guidance in structuring their transactions or their agreements or just deciding how to conduct their businesses? That's a good question. But before I answer that question, I do want to note um, one point that I would be remiss if I didn't point out, which is that one of the sources of guidance that has not been withdrawn are the FTC's advisory opinions and business review letters. Um, Those have always been a very helpful source of guidance on topics such as clinically integrated networks, Um, which are very important um, to some healthcare providers. So those are still out there and we can still rely on those or or use those to provide advice. You know, but big picture, I think it's important to remember that the withdrawal of these statements doesn't mean the antitrust law has changed. In fact, the antitrust law has not changed. 
The Sherman Act and the Clayton Act statutes haven't changed in decades. Uh, and antitrust law, of course, has developed through the courts and the case law, and there have been no changes there. And as many of you probably know, the two categories of antitrust review continue to be the same. Those two categories are the per se rule and the rule of reason. And some conduct is so egregious as to be per se illegal, while the rule of reason applies to everything else. So, you know, similarly, the law hasn't changed, and therefore the advice that antitrust lawyers are going to give to clients isn't really going to change either. That the key message from the withdrawal of these statements is that the agencies want to review and assess risk on a facts and circumstances basis. That really means that they'll be employing the rule of reason rather than allowing a categorical safe harbor. And that's what that's what we'll do as well when we're advising our clients. Thank you very much, Jane, for this discussion. And thank you to our listeners. Please visit our website at www.ropesgray.com or feel free, of course, to reach out to any of us at Ropes and Gray via email or phone for more information on topics of interest in the healthcare industry. You can also subscribe to this Ropes and Gray series wherever you typically listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.